Hello everyone, it is your boy Hunt back with another kicking episode of Tabletop Recap. Once again, we are doing kind of our recap of Descent into Avernus, Baldur's Gate, Descent into Avernus, our current Dungeons and Dragons campaign. It is one that you can buy, it's a big official one. It's uh, what, 1 to 13? Yep. Yeah, fun stuff. Um, I know we've been just doing a bunch of Descent into Avernus in a row, but that's because we've just been able to play so much. Uh, the next episode probably will not be Descended to Avernus because I actually have to do some housekeeping and I want to talk about like new games coming out and a game that G is getting into. Speaking of G, we have him here with us today. Hello. Yeah, he's uh, he's here. And then we also got Big Boy Chungus. But you ever introduce him before me? You understand? <laughs> I am the co-host. <laughs> he is I'm a just guest. Kidding. I'm just kidding. I don't care. <laughs> How dare you? Nah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, let's, uh, I guess, roll for initiative. Remember, if you get a one, you gotta dox yourself. Nat 20! <laughs> Three. <laughs> you didn't even roll. I, got, I did, I rolled. A D6. And? And it was a one, so give me your address. <laughs> uh, you, you already know my address. <laughs> I do not know your address. I know his address by heart. Uh, but I do not know yours. I got 18, so. 20. So I'll just start automatically and uh, give me your money right now. Yeah, so uh, first, who are all the characters? Everybody was able to play today, and that's very rare. Yeah, this was a super good session. I really hope that for our next session we're able to have the same group, but yeah. cross our fingers. The Legend usually has to work weekends, so uh, it often doesn't... Uh, we often... That's why we kind of instituted our, our three... Uh, people rule. As long as we can get three of the players, we'll play. And then we just pretend the other characters aren't there for now. But if they have like an important item in their bag or something, we'll just pretend someone else has it. Yeah, rule like of story three. Item. Rule of threes. So our last session, the players finally made it to Avernus, but they they got a brief description well, of what was let's, around them. Let's do the characters at the beginning like we need to. Very we'll, good. The little housekeeping. Uh, who do you play, G? I play Maestan Balasar, the Dragonborn Paladin. And uh, he's a level ahead of everybody else because he's he's your I, first I'm real a, character. I'm a whopping level six. Ooh. That's a real interesting character you got there. It'd be a shame if someone were to off him or corrupt him. <laughs> uh, <laughs> See, the, the also only big thing is that since my character is the the one with the the longest spin around, I have the most backstory, which means they have the most crap to throw at me, and they will. Throw it at me. Well, you're always asking. Crap, I read Eldritch Blast. Uh, well, you're always asking. Ask me about my backstory. Ask me I've about done my that backstory. twice. And Total. Then, and then our newest player, uh, Keo Cat, who plays Guinevere, uh, and uh, she is a uh, Tabaxi Druid. Out of the forest. Uh, yeah, and she she has a tressum called Slobber Chomps, which she stole from an NPC in this game. <laughs> uh, very fun stuff, and. Uh, then we have D-Legend, who is playing the Tabaxi Kensei monk, Jadal Blackline. And he he currently owes a debt to a demonic or uh, fiendish patron. Although the patron didn't show his ugly head today because... You forgot. Well, I forgot, but this was also a short <laughs> session. I, I tried to make sure that everyone got an even amount of playtime, and I felt that if including the, the patron stuff on top of everything that was going on would take up too much time. Yeah, probably. We had a very limited time to play today. We like started at one and had to be out by four. Uh, but we got a lot done. Like this was a really productive session, I think, for despite being short. And um, then the uh, the last, the last well playable character, player the last character. player character 
would be uh, Corvus, who is Connor the Trading Card Goblin's half-elf warlock to the Raven Queen. Uh, and yes, I know what you're thinking. He does, in fact, have Eldritch Blast readied. <laughs> He's like the Hulk. I don't have to prepare Eldritch Blast. I always have it prepared. <laughs> Why do you always get the first attack? That's my secret, Captain. I readied Eldritch Blast. <laughs> always has that Eldritch Blast. I have to call him on that sometimes, because there's like some situations where like you're caught off guard by an enemy. I ready Eldritch Blast. No, they surprised you. Yeah, like today he was like, because uh, D-Legend's character got like gore all over him, and uh, he was using his ball of splashing from Hollow's End to like uh, wash, wash him off. off. And he was like, I also have Eldritch Blast ready. And we were like, no, you no, you're doing one or the other, man. You either have Eldritch Blast ready, or you're giving... A cat a bath, which yeah, yeah. one or the other. But then oh. we also have two kind of NPCs, Ray Mantlemore. You know more about her than me, so yeah, she's the uh, Hell Rider uh, soldier. Uh, even though she is a whopping sixteen years old, um, from Elchuel, who is helping the party navigate Elchuel and fi- trying to figure out how to save her city. Her entire life, she learned has been a lie, thanks to the discovery that. The High Overseer has essentially sold all of his people down the River Styx, if you will. And uh, she wants to right the Overseer's wrongs and try and save as many of her people as she can. Then you have uh, Fauster Fisk is no longer with us. He stayed behind at Candle Keep to continue his work. But he has been replaced with Lulu the Holy Fant, a happy-go-lucky, cute-as-all-get-out, golden-winged mammoth who's about the size of a golden retriever. She is a precious baby. And she loves kicking demon and devil butt, and she loves also helping people out just as much. Party mascot. Yep, she is the party mascot. <laughs> Quinevere loves her, My Stan likes her, Corvus likes making her cry. <laughs> you, you want to hear about how he made her cry, uh, definitely check out the previous episode. But uh, So this episode, they started out in Elchuel, which is in hell currently. Yeah, and so what I described to them was, is I read the the... the the box text that's required. But then I also went a little bit further. I said, your, your nostrils are filled with the smell of sulfur, brimstone, and just what it's carbon dioxide poisoning, basically. It's not actually poisoning them, but it's just that foul. The taste, uh, the smell is so palpable that you can even feel it on your tongue. Uh, you hear cries of angry, anguish, squee- screams of rage and fear, and there are these... Distinct sounds of a battle going on somewhere. Swords and metal clashing, bones being broken, and war cries raging out. Um, and, of course, from our last session, uh, Traxagor got him there. He was the otter wizard who plane-shifted them to the plane of Avernus in Elchuel. He did not stick around, though. He took one look around and said, nope, I'm out. And then he got out of there. He was gone. I'm surprised no one bothered to ask, like, there's actually, you can actually roll an Arcana check to see if you can figure out how he got out of there. <laughs> but no one bothered because everyone else is like, okay. It was actually it was actually a little while before they even realized he was gone. They were like, wait, where's the otter? Did he leave us? <laughs> Did he just abandon us here? Uh, so they're, they're in hell for no more than two minutes before things start happening. And as they are advancing from their starting location, they see a woman with a longbow across her back, a waist satchel, and two male toddlers under each arm, or one male toddler under each arm, two toddlers total, being chased by three bearded devils. And 
Rhea and Lulu immediately kick into high gear, like, we gotta stop those evil devils! And, um... Rhea did that, too. Well, yeah. Everyone pretty much did. But it specifically says in the book that Rhea and Lulu instantly go after the devils, regardless of what everyone does. Tio Cat was like, I want to go help the kids, but I'm so far away! She had to do, like, two dash actions during the combat to get all the way over there. Yeah. And then by the time she got over there, uh... (laughs) <laughs> my, my, my Stan and uh, Black Lion or whatever had them beat already. And uh, this is the for this combat was really unique because this is where both players and the DM started using combat tactics that were not just I cast a spell or make an attack for my turn and then move. Like there was some creativity. People got to use the environment a little bit. I loved it. Um, so what happened for starters is uh, Lulu gets up behind. No. Jadal went first, and he's level four, so he's a little bit underpowered to be fighting three bearded devils at once, and he almost gets into trouble. But then Lulu comes to help him out because she has a flying speed of 120, so she can move anywhere on the battlefield she wants because she's flying. Uh, but Holy Fans are pretty powerful, even though she's been nerfed because of amnesia. Even though she's just like a tiny little chicken nugget now. Yeah. And she has, the, she has two major things that she's able to do right now. The first thing that she can do is she has an aura of invulnerability, which means any spell that is cast at her or any creature within a 10-foot radius of her is immediately immune to all spells that are 5th level or lower. So the only thing that can harm them is things of 6th level or higher. It's, it's pretty overpowered. Which is why everything they fight is level 10. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it also, it's not that powerful because you have to be within 10 feet. And when you're in combat, 10 feet is not a lot. Yeah. Um, and so combat uh, goes back and forth. Maestan, Jadal, Lulu, um, and Corvus do a pretty good job in the first half. Quinevere, like she said, um, she had to kind of catch up because she was all the way at the end of the back of the line. And there was a lot of stuff she had to get through first. And uh, she does have some area of effect stuff, but she doesn't have a lot of long-range spells. The, the, the closest thing to a ranged spell she has is a, a vine whip or a thorn whip, which only can attack creatures up to 10 feet away from her. Yeah, it's not very... Uh, or no, up to... Th- I think it's 30. Thir- up to 30 feet. But these enemies, at least the ones that she was trying to attack, were just out of her reach. And basically what winds up happening towards the end of the fight is... Um, all three of the devils are not targeting the players. They are after the women and children uh, because they're devils. They're evil. They're, they want those souls, you know? They, they want them, them pure, innocent souls. Um, and this is another situation where, if you remember from our last session, their players will be coming across enemies that are not just trying to kill them or fight them. They have other goals and objectives they're trying to reach. So, yeah, they were going to fight you if you got in their face, but you guys aren't their main priority. And so the one of the three bearded devils fought Maestan and Lulu and Jadal head on, while the other two went around and disengaged to avoid opportunity of attacks. And they approached the mother with her two children, who at some point rolled a crit fail on a check and wound up knocking herself unconscious and dropping her two children, who are basically defenseless now. Yeah. Um, and so... Um, Maya Stan, was there anything that was going on with you during this whole fight? I mean, I was trying to catch up with the kids. Yeah, so the kids became the priority because the devils were not showing any signs of slowing down. Like they were just trying to grab and go. 
Yeah, one like scooped up a kid and was like out of there. Yeah, so but the the devil that was fighting on three fronts wound up dying first. But uh, the other two devils actually made it to the unconscious mother's body with the two children. And um, Quinevere and Maestan managed to catch up to it. Uh, but no one was looking at the third devil, and it actually picked up one of the toddlers and tried to bolt. Um, the second um, devil was taken out by Lulu in a rather creative way that I'm rather proud of. Yeah, don't do that too often. It'll make it too easy for him. No, well, Lulu <laughs> does not have a lot of strength. She just happened to roll really high, and she beat the devil's um, counter-athletics check. Um, probably won't happen the same way again. But what happened was, was because of how big Lulu is, and she rolled really high, what Lulu did was she grappled with the second devil, and she decided to use all of her movement speed after succeeding on the competition to fly the devil 120 feet up in the air and then drop it. <laughs> Which, if for 1d6 for every 10 damage, that's 12d6's worth of bludgeoning damage. So that bearded devil was now a stain on the cobblestone. <laughs> but then the third devil, he was catching some flack from the other players once they finally caught up to him, and he took the kid hostage. The first thing that he did was he says, okay, I, this is, we can do this the easy way or the hard way. You've got the mother and the other kid. I've got the other kid. Two out of three ain't bad. Take what you can get. Leave me alone. Or else the kid gets it. Because he's got this big old glaive, which is a, a giant spear, pressed to this kid's throat. And he's like, I'm going to kill this kid if you come any closer. And, uh, and what, I got what did you do, Maya Stan? So I presented him a, uh, a trade offer and said, look, I've got this... Uh, water skin of healing potion. I'll give it to you in exchange for the kid. And I made you roll a deception deception check, and then I rolled inside as a competition. He rolled like a three <laughs> on insight. He freaking sucked. So he said, "Huh, that sounds like a tempting offer, but I want to test it first. Uh, had he crit failed, I just said, "Deal." <laughs> Here's the kid. Give me the potion. Um, but yeah, because but like because uh, he had some additions on that were enough to make him a little suspicious. Mm -hmm. And then he said, "Uh." Yeah, he like took the cap off and he he moved the child away from the glaive blade and he had it like the child situated in the crook of his elbow. So the child wasn't in as much danger as he once was, but he was still in the hostage position. And the devil took one whiff and he said, "This doesn't smell like health potion. What is this?" And what happened after that? So it was at that he, point. Uh, remember, he he was gonna make the kid try it. Oh yeah. So the the uh, the devil decided that he was going to have the kid test the potion instead. So he's trying to take this water skin and force it down the kid's throat. And while he's doing this, uh, Jadal... No, not Jadal. Um, I did this. Corvus and my stand take a little action. Because uh, they, since he was distracted, uh, I charge him at that point to try and knock the kid and wrestle the kid away from him. And I had you make an athletics check to see how well you either grappled him or tackled him. And, of course, I ran uh, athletics to counter it. He rolled a one. Mm -hmm. He rolled like garbage for that entire encounter. He rolled a three on a deception, and then he rolled a one on athletics. So basically what wound up happening was he trips, drops the child, and the water skin accidentally falls into his mouth where he unintentionally downs the whole thing. And the water, what was in the water skin 
was a barf potion from the Rick and Morty campaign that I ran through that uh, Hunt over here had us run. Yeah. And everyone had forgotten about it except me. <laughs> and so I, I knew it was some I knew it wasn't healing potion. I was like I remember him feeling something in the wineskin, but I couldn't remember what it was. He I, thought, that. I thought it was the Goliath tree sap. No, I and, still have that. But no, that's, that's also like not a vial. The, yeah, that's not in the water skin. Um so that happened and uh, I, I had the guy roll a constitution saving throw because uh, we couldn't find the stats for the potion of barfing. <laughs> we lost that stuff. I would have had to go out to my car, get my DM bag, dig through it to find the Rick and Morty module, and then flip through the module to try to find the barf potion. I was like, I'm not doing that, man. So I just looked at the demon's constitution modifier, and I said, screw it. I'll, I'll, I have an appropriate score that he has to beat. If he doesn't beat it, he's fine. If, or if he doesn't beat it, he throws up continuously. If he uh, succeeds, he succeeds. And he rolled like a five. Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, so he proceeds to get up and just, What was it? And he just, like, you ever seen that episode of Family Guy where everyone drinks Ipecac? Yeah. It's like that. It's just, And eventually between the vomiting and then Connor shoots a couple Eldritch Blasts at him in the head. Yeah, I, Connor's like, I want to execute him. I want to execute it with Eldritch Blast. I want to put my hand in the back of his head and execute it. And I'm like, make an attack roll. He says, I'm not making an attack roll. He's he's in, he's incapacitated. I'm like, but you're making an attack and he's not unconscious. It's like, wait, you mean I have to roll to attack? And he said, yes. It's like, dude, you've been playing for like a year, man. You know you got to roll to attack. And so, yeah, I made I him I love roll. the guy, but that he, was weird. And he actually did hit him. I don't know why I was so worried. His spell modifier is like a plus eight. Yeah, he's very strong. He literally has to roll like a two to fail anything. Yeah. Um, as far as the spell goes. But um, he incapacitates the devil who's now like laying in a pool of his own vomit. Not dead, just really uncomfortable and really out of it. And so the woman is saved and the children saved, combat ends, and basically she reveals to them the following information, that the citizens uh, that have come to El Chuel, many have died on the way down to hell and many more have died due to rampaging demons and devils in the city. Uh, she says yeah, that we... Like the whole city's falling apart. Yeah, there's only half the city left and whatever's left, the citizens have been exposed to hell, which when you put a bunch of commoners in that situation... It's like ground meat. Which, this is like berserk levels of hell, so like people are getting slaughtered everywhere. Um, and so then uh, she tells them that we've managed to stay alive this long because we were hiding out in a tavern cellar, um, eating and living off of the food and beverage reserves, fresh water and wine, uh, but we ran out because we've been down here for like a month now. So we had to venture out and find more food or else we would have starved to death. So that's me and my boys left the tavern and we ventured out, uh, but we got caught right away and we had to flee. And that's when you guys showed up. She also tells them that the, the city has been split into two parts. So whereas half the city now remains, the a quarter of each half, so... One quarter of the city is on the east side, one quarter on the west side. When you described that, D-Legend and I both in unison went, East side! (laughs) (laughs) Um, Which, uh, now the city is not completely separated. There are two bridges, one of which is named uh, Torm's Blade, and the other one's name is uh, Torm's Reach. The big Chungus Memorial Bridge. Yeah, and these bridges, which are named after the god Torm, uh, are still holding the city together, like... um, uh, a frayed rope. 
She also tells them that, uh, you know, the safest place to probably be is the uh, High Hall Citadel or uh, church where the, that's like where all the overseers and the military men, you know, congregate. And it's probably the most well defended. So we should get there and wait while Thavius Creed comes up with a plan to save us. And that made for awkward conversation. <laughs> so he's currently in the sewer with his head cleaved in two. Well, if you'll notice, Rhea did not tell them the whole truth. She kind of made it seem like uh, Raven Guard didn't betray them but forsook them. I'd say it's the whole truth because there's a hole in his head. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah. Rhea did not want to bust the entire truth on them like it had on her. She want like she she will tell them eventually, but she doesn't want to cause panic. Like yeah, the guy you worship is a traitor, and he sent you here. Because one, she probably wouldn't believe him at first, and then it would like go into shock. Mm. So she tells them this information, and everyone proceeds towards the church. Um, at this point, um, in between reaching key locations, there are some encounters that take place. The first one that occurs is um, the players notice some rather sneaky figures wearing um, what looks to be black clothing ducking into an abandoned house. And uh, remind me, Maya Stan, because you guys argued a little bit about whether or not you were going to even interact with these people. Well, what, what happened? So <laughs> what? I'm taking control. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, you can get to what you did, but I want to talk about what Connor did first. He sent his imp uh, to investigate, and then he had the raven circle it, not sure why. But the uh, the imp, he had to turn invisible and go inside, and he saw like four undeads eating like a bunch of people on a table. And he wanted to go in and stomp them because he worships the raven queen, and she demands that he destroy all undead he find. And then you said... I said that, like, look, because I didn't know what, because like, you said undead, but we were also told that they were shadowy figures... I'm like, I don't know clearly what these are. I'm like, look, there's nothing we can do to help those people now because, like, they're already dead. Like, avoiding the conflict, like, look, we don't want to draw any unnecessary attention like, attention to any more demons. So I said basically, look, there's nothing we can do for them now. We should just go and let and pass by. And then Ray Mantlemore said, no, I try not to interject the NPCs too much, but I also want to make sure that they're playing to their character type. And Raya is the kind of person who, one, if there's anyone in need, she will immediately rush to their aid. But if there's ever a threat that could potentially harm other people, she wants to try and neutralize as best she can. So her argument was that, yes, Maya Stan wants to avoid this confrontation to avoid any unnecessary collateral damage. But if we leave these flesh-eating beings to their own devices, there may be more families than just the one that they're eating that could die. So we stop the threat now, we save more people. And... Mm. You, you bought into that, and so Connor kind of takes over and lays out this whole plan of ambush attack where he's going to set up at the back door, because the, the way this building looks is that it's a three-story house, but the third story has been completely demolished. There is an access from the third story to the second story, and then the second story has a bunch of holes leading to the rooms on the first floor, one of which is the kitchen where all of these undead creatures are currently feasting. Um... But so he, he sets himself up with his imp at the back door where he is going to cast Shatter on the table, which will hopefully damage as many of the creatures who are ghasts, by the way, yeah. as possible. Uh, Jadal and Quinevere will then go up to the top of the house using their climbing speed so they didn't have to make any rolls and then ambush them from the top down. And then once Shatter would be cast, Jadal and Quinevere would jump from the top 
and Maya Stan would attack from the front door, whole SWAT maneuver, like, like, <laughs> FBI, open up! <laughs> um, and this go pretty much goes off without a hitch. Everyone succeeds on their stealth check and their sneak attacks. Connor uh, rolled for uh, Shatter, and all but one of the ghasts failed their saving throw. Uh, just to clarify, Rhea and Lulu are currently helping the family that they just saved take cover outside the house to prevent any collateral damage affecting them. So right now it's just the party in there. And they successfully defeat the ghasts, although uh, Jadal, D. Legend's character, did roll a crit fail on his sneak attack, and he wound up falling in the middle of the table amongst gore. Yeah, today I think he rolled the most nat 20s out of anyone and the most crit fails out of anyone. Oh, it was funny. Um, but they do successfully defeat all the ghasts with very little to no damage. But after they uh, roll, or after they finish, they hear a little crying noise coming from one of the, the cabinets in the kitchen, which uh, I'm really glad that Shatter has a smaller radius than it, uh, than it sh probably should because had Connor cast it and it had a larger radius, this would have really messed up uh, or made a bad situation worse. But um, after investigating the cupboard, they discover that there's a little girl about the age of seven or eight years old hiding in the cupboard. She's got like blood splatters all over her face and her dress, yeah. which is all torn and Basically, it's safe to assume that this little girl was one of the residents of the household and was literally watching her family get eaten by undead creatures. And you and I DM together. I'm like, I'm like an assistant, basically. I just I look up spells for people and I just give you some creative ideas and I take care of the map and everything mm -hmm. and the minis. But um, see, because you explained that she was hiding in there to me when we prepped for this session, mm -hmm. and I misremembered it and I thought she was like under a table against the wall in that room so when he cast Shatter I thought she was just torn apart but then she was in the cupboard and I was like oh okay <laughs> yeah the book actually even says that she is specifically in the cupboard watching uh, the guests do their deed through a crack in the cupboard so she was not under the table uh, thankfully but uh, Maya Stan was the person to open the cupboard and because you were the first person who was nice to her not that anyone was mean to her. You're just the first person to have the chance to be nice. She latched on to you. Yeah. You want to talk about how that happened? I tried to comfort her. Uh, but then, for some reason, Chungus made it seem oddly ominous that she was holding on to me and not letting go. How was that ominous? I didn't think it was ominous. You were just like... And as she's holding on to you, she just buries her face in your neck and she's holding on tighter and tighter and doesn't seem to want to let go. I'm like, That's not ominous. To me, that seemed ominous. It if felt you like, were an eight-year-old child and you just witnessed your family getting devoured... I wouldn't you... cling to the reptile who just opened the cupboards. Well, what nice. if she's just not racist? <laughs> Think about that. Yeah, you assume that everyone hates Dragonborn. No one hates you. And this, this is... A, That's your thing. It's That's a, something you need to work on, bud. <laughs> it's a rare species that people aren't like familiar with all that often. Rare, but not unknown. People like people don't see Dragonborn walking up the street every single day. But people know they exist. People know that most Dragonborn are not serial killers or aliens. They just don't see you that often. Okay. Are they ugliest sin? Yes. Do they deserve to be executed? Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> this let's just say for the any, sake of let's just say who. for the sake of argument that this girl and her family know what Dragonborn are and they know that they are just as evil 
or good-natured as any other humanoid species. Anywho, I had a suspicion that she might have been something else, so I just simply wanted to roll perception as to see if I could tell anything. <laughs> and I rolled a one, which involved me throwing the child to the ground. Well, not throwing her, but just like in my yeah. attempt to get her off of me, she kind of fell well, to the ground. Well, basically what you were trying to do is you were holding her, and you wanted to get a good look at her to make sure that she wasn't some necro-child trying to eat your neck out. Like, you ever seen Legion? That that stuff. Um, but what you wound up doing is she's holding your neck so tightly that you're having to, like, force her off of you a little bit to get a look, and on your crit fail, you just pushed her off of you, and that really, like, made her unsettled. Like, she, all she wanted was positive physical contact from a non-threatening being, and you just rejected her. Well, I, I made up for it, because then I, like, I tried to calm her down again, and then I, I didn't pick her up, but I gave her my hand if she wanted to take it. And she took it, but she didn't stop crying, and she, she was very hesitant on she, you. Yeah, eventually she, she clung stole to, that kid from you. Yeah, she clung to Quinevere more than me. It's because she saw the sweet cat lady, and she thought that maybe you're friendly. Until it turned her into a monster. <laughs> Twice. <laughs> <laughs> so the, um, the, the next part of the story, they, they get to Baldur's Blade, the bridge, uh, child and family in tow, and I won't go into all the details because this probably took a little bit longer than it needed to anyways, but on Torm's Bridge, there are various runes dedicated to the god Torm. And anyone who either makes a high enough religion check or is a worshiper of Torm can know that these runes are a fail-safe trap for if anyone manages to besiege the city and get that far. And we had to get that information from the group cat for some reason. Because <laughs> no one was asking... Like, Ray, Raya said that, you know... I have a plan, but I need you guys to distract them. He says, she said that I think I can do something with the runes to, um, to, to get rid of the demons, but no one was wanting to capitalize on it. Like, Connor wanted to send his imp in to distract them and have them run off. My stand just wanted to fight them. Uh, and so basically I, I realized at this point that I was kind of neglecting Keocat a little bit. Um, so I, I started giving her more options and, uh, so I, uh, you just asked her what what she wanted to do about the bridge, what her plan was, and she was like, "I want to talk to my kitty." Cause. Yeah, the first thing that I did was I said that Slobber Chops is hissing a lot right now, like he's really on edge. And then uh, I said, "Kitty or yeah, Quinevere, do you want to do anything in this situation?" She says, "I want to talk to my cat." I said, "Okay, you'll have to cast Speak with Animal, but." You don't have to roll anything for that, and it'll happen automatically once you do it. She says, yeah, I want to do that. She was happy to do that. Like, uh, she kept texting me, like, are there plants around? Are there plants? Because she wanted to use her new Talk to Plants spell. Well, if she'd asked me, I would have described it to her. And I See, was, I, 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 she's very nervous, so she'll, like, ask me things on chat instead yeah, of uh, uh, asking on the thing. I, I've been trying to encourage the players, and th there's nothing against this. I totally she's understand. She's just new and anxious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, but... When characters ask questions about the environment, like uh, Jadal and D, Leg or D Legend was asking, like, what does my environment look like? Is there anything I can do with the walls and everything? He's good about that. Yeah, and I started going into enough detail with his passive perception, and I said, if you want more information about that, you have to roll a perception check, and, you know, he got really good at that. But um, Quinevere, I really hope that I do a good enough job that she feels more comfortable to ask me questions out loud. But... This was a good thing that she did, and she, she talked to um, Slobber Chops, and Slobber Chops, the voice that I have for him whenever she talks to him, he sounds like St. Cloud from the Venture Bros. Yeah. Mm, yes, I am a fat cat from a wealthy family. Feed me vittles, please. 
Uh, so uh, she she asks him. He says, "Can you see anything about the bridge?" Because he has advantage on perception. He does, and um, he also has invisible sight. Now there wasn't anything invisible about this bridge, but just for because of his perception, he said those runes smell awfully funny. They have a magical odor about them. Mm, yes. <laughs> And uh, so she relays this information, and uh, Rhea asks, you can see the magical aura too? And uh, Quinevere's like, I suppose so, if my cat can see them. <laughs> and so uh, basically the plan of attack at this point turns into, okay, half the party is going to charge the devils, because it was assessed that uh, the runes would only affect fiends who were in the light, not uh, humans or anything good aligned. Yeah, I think it was fiends and undead, but I don't... Is- is Connor good on? He's neutral good. Okay, I thought he was lost. I thought it was, evil. I thought it was chaotic. No, I thought it was thinking, chaotic. You're neutral. thinking of Tywin Duchamp, my character in the in uh, Karen's campaign. Oh yeah, the lost campaign. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's lost because I uh, I derailed it. <laughs> like we were on the beaten path, and then I uh, derailed us. <laughs> yeah, we I still thought, have a session of that. We need to do an episode on. But, I thought he's been like chaotic neutral because like he's been going around saying like he wants to execute things and I'm like technically killing I mean yeah they're demons but technically um killing outright killing anything that is evil is not seen as an evil act now if he was well there's a difference between killing and then saying you're going to execute someone I mean like if I attack and kill someone in self defense that's that's a difference between getting them on their knees putting a gun to the back of their head and blowing their brains out well if it was any other creature, I would have questions about it. But the problem is, is that... Yeah, they're when, demons, when, whenever, sure. Whenever I think, you know, okay, how, the way I gauge moral dilemmas is if a god of a good or evil alignment would have a problem with this, it is a potential alignment-changing action. But Bahamut wouldn't have a problem if you started executing devils. No. Torm wouldn't have a problem if you started executing devils. So I do not see... Um, Corvus's character executing devils as evil. It's just, I mean, it's not maybe the best decision, but I mean, who cares? You can go murder hobo on these guys all you want because most of the time these guys are so powerful you can't go murder hobo on them. <laughs> but, anyways, I digress. So, half the party decides that they're going to activate the runes while the rest of the party is going to charge the devils and attack them on the bridge, trying to keep them in one spot. And this is a success. Uh, all of the weaker devils that are on the bridge are instantly incinerated, and the other devils are trying to run and are quickly shot in the back by Jadal and Corvus, who executed the last one again. <laughs> um, and then, so they're, they're now across to the, se- the east side of El Chuel, and they have another encounter where... Well, isn't there the, there's the candy first. Let's talk about oh, the candy. Oh, yes, this was, uh, this was Quinevere's roleplay with the child. So after Jadal... Uh, pushed the child away, uh, or, uh, no, sorry, after my stand pushed the child away, the child kind of warmed up to Quinevere because she's wearing very bright colors. She actually looks like a, a lynx, which has brighter colors, more friendly in a face. Um, and, and she had candy. She and, offered to get candy. Yeah, so the child walks up to Quinevere, and she tugs on her coat, and she's, like, trying to hide behind her cloak, and she's just, Can you, will you protect me from the monsters? <laughs> I can't do a very good kid's voice with my deep voice. Will you protect me from the monsters? Well, that just sounds like, uh... Sounds like a... Don't ever do that again. (laughs) That's his kid's voice, which scares me. Uh, anyways. So, uh... 
where was I? Quinevere, oh yeah, Quinevere picks up the child and she says, yes, I'll protect you. And she picks her up in her arms and she starts like talking to her. And uh, she wants to cheer the child up because she's still got tears yeah. running down her face. She, she says, yeah, because she cut her candy apple in half earlier to give to the other two kids. And then this kid, she's like, you want some candy? And she has gumdrops from Hollow's End, which all have a magical effect. And, and so here's the thing about the candy. The first four effects instantly, it, it causes an illusionary effect which turns your body into one of four monster types. Uh, kobold, orc, duergar, no, not duergar. Goblin. Goblin and... Kobold, orc, goblin, and uh, grung. Oh, yeah. Green so, goblin, grimy grung, kobold, kiwi, and orcish orange. Yeah, and so the, the, the child who has just thinks this is regular candy eats it and she immediately turns into a kobold. Yeah, and this is a rolling on a random effects table for these gumdrops. And, and she starts freaking because she's a monster and then Guinevere's like, no, 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 you're like him now. And she points at uh, my stand over here who's posing all heroically and I stuff. Strike a, I strike a pose. And the child didn't feel... She didn't feel that you were a superhero or anything, but she thought you were funny in your little pose, and she started laughing. And she she laughed a little bit more when she saw that her finger and hand was all scaly and had a little claw on it. Yeah, but it wore off after ten minutes, and then she gave the kid another candy. And she was like, did they all turn me into monsters? She was like, no. And then she took it and she turned into an orc. orc. A little top tyke-sized orc. And so she was like, ah, you lied to me? But but she, she was kind of uh, more... She was kind of more comfortable with this because Keocat was like playing with the puppet and everything that she got earlier. And um, so she was like, do I look scary? And she says, yeah, you look terrifying. And the kid goes, rawr. And she has like a scary face and all that stuff. I thought it was pretty good role play on Quinevere's part. I just do not have a childlike voice. Yeah, but there was another fun little encounter after the bridge. Oh, yeah. So they're... Quinevere is holding the child now. She's the, the little girl does not want to let her go. And Rhea and uh, Jadal are working with the family to try and make sure they're keeping up because the boys are like three years old each. Uh, but Lulu decides to scout out because there's like a little fork in the road or an intersection. And so she flies ahead and she kind of takes a quick look around a corner, but then she immediately books it back to the party and she's like, Hide! Hide now! Hide! In this whisper-like yell. Um, and I make everyone immediately has to make a, a, stealth, say, a stealth check. Everyone did pretty well. The player yeah. characters, anyways. Yeah, the only person who didn't make a successful stealth check was one of the toddler children, one of the male toddlers of um, Harkina, the female mother. I would hope she's female if she's a mother. Um, but, uh, what was I saying? Oh, yeah, um... But Lulu made a 20, so she basically wound up saving the boy before he got into real trouble. Um, and after everyone successfully hides, you hear clip-clop, clip-clop, clip-clop of uh, sounds like metallic horse hooves on cobblestone. And uh, as this being comes around a corner, it looks like a paladin wearing black wrought iron armor uh, covered in flames, riding a horse with a chain... Uh, a rain made of chain links spiked black armor with fire coming from its hooves its nose and its mane and uh i described to them that this is a narzugan a evil paladin uh birthed from hell and uh which i i was con i was making checks on the narzugan and he made just shy of what i made the perception checks to be for him to spot everyone everyone got so lucky 
Because this is like the only other time that I think you guys would have had an encounter with a NPC or enemy that was too high power was when you guys fought the Abishai. And that was too high on purpose. He wasn't supposed yeah. to. Yeah. Yeah. The party could potentially fight this guy and beat him, but someone was going to die. It would take everything they had. Yeah, this would have been... A... And I think at that point, uh, Connor was out of spell slots also. Yeah, so Connor was handicapped, and the players had already experienced a little bit of damage. But the Narzugan succeeded, or failed, I should say, in passing everyone by. And then once he was gone, everyone was like, okay, let's keep going quietly now. Um, and then they made their way to the High Hall. And this is where we started reaching the end of the session because um, as they approach the gate, uh, half of or one side of the the cathedral has completely crumbled and caved in, but the other towers and the main tower, which is higher than anything else in this castle, is still standing like a defiant obelisk, as I described it. But as they approach the main archway into the courtyard, um, there are two human guards lying dead on each side of the archway with blood still gushing from what look like recent wounds caused by bite marks. Um, and uh, the characters don't have much time to interact with the situation. This was the first time where I put a time constraint on what everyone was going to do. Because as these monsters come into the courtyard into view, they are hellhounds, which have been feasting on the dead bodies of the soldiers who were killed by whatever forces may have come through the castle. And I said, okay, the, the hellhounds don't notice you yet, but uh, you're out in the open, so you have 30 seconds to decide what everyone's going to do. And so, my stand, what did you decide to do in your 30 seconds? I just started to charge him. You charged him. Jadal wanted to do the same, but with a ranged attack, which he rolled a crit fail on. Um, then Corvus agreed to back you guys up, and so did Lulu. And um, I asked Quinevere what she wanted to do, and she said, I'm going to go take the kids... And I'm going to go try and hide them. And I yeah. said... She didn't say this on the uh, voice chat, but she did, uh, in the regular chat, she said uh, that she was doing that because of her character's fear of wolves. She didn't want to fight that. I was hoping that was the reason why. <laughs> yeah. Plus, she had both hands taken up by a kid, so... Yeah, she wouldn't be able to fight. So that was a real smart move on her. So she, the little girl she's carrying, the mother with her two toddler sons, and Rhea agreed to go with them because just she wanted to help keep people safe and um so they uh, they went and found a successful debris pile to hide around and um everyone else successfully beat the hellhounds and so now they successfully then came out of oh yeah quinevere was doing something with the child because the child started crying again with the scary dogs on the loose and just because of the tension in the air and so she brought out uh, Mortlock's troll doll that she got from his bedroom back in Baldur's Gate and she's like telling a story about her homeland and uh, trying to cheer the child up and then she like rolled a three on her performance. Yeah, didn't work. Uh, and uh, so the child didn't, a crit fail would have the child bawling and would have attracted more monsters but it wasn't a crit fail so I just said yeah the child starts crying and you just kind of hope that it doesn't attract anything. But the Hellhounds were de dealt with pretty swiftly, and then once they were dead, everyone congregated back into the um, destroyed but still traversable courtyard, and our next session will begin with them entering the Cathedral of High Hall. Yeah, that should be fun. That should be, that should be a lot of combat that session, I think. There will be, but there will also be some good roleplay moments. It's going to be very balanced, I think. Nice. So, uh... I want to ask you, G, because we usually don't have the players on here. Uh, 
from a player's perspective, how is the campaign as a whole going? I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, it's been a roller coaster, certainly, but I've made sure that I'm doing the best I can, so I've enjoyed it. And uh, I've been hearing through the message, like I, I spoke to D Legend, he really likes it. He's um, he was a little nervous about D and D because he's got a couple of other social groups that he does gaming and uh, martial arts stuff with. Uh, so he wasn't sure if he'd have a lot of time for D&D and get really invested into it. But since he started a few months ago, he's really gotten into it. Yeah, he has. Even though he doesn't have a lot of time to play, which is sad, but... We totally understand, because he has other obligations, work and home stuff, and then of course he's got other friends, which if any DM who makes a player choose between them and other friends, it's a really bad move. So And let's face it, they gotta be cooler than us, right? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know about that, but... <laughs> like, they gotta be. <laughs> but I'm not going to put him in a spot where it's either you play D and D or you don't, or, or you don't play with us at all. Like yeah, that's, that's, yeah, that's rude and very uncourteous. But uh, I've heard some things from Quinevere. She's still learning, but that's totally understandable. This is what her third session, fourth session. I don't know. She's still very new, but uh, she, she is learning. She's the newest one, but she's played more sessions than D Legend. Uh, but I honestly love. Quinevere's character, or sorry, Keokat's character, because she brings such positive energy in a place that doesn't have much positivity. Yeah, you've got the the stoic knight myself, and then you've got Corvus constantly at each other's throats because we don't like how each other handles things, and then you just have Keokat who's just like, I want to play with the children. I want to wear dresses and play with dolls, which is what I want to <laughs> talk to the plants and animals because people are depressing. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's Jadal, uh, or D Legends characters who just can't seem to stop dying. <laughs> He's been very good recently. He hasn't died so far. That's, his patron didn't show up today, but that's only because I I had a mark that I wanted us to meet. Uh, before the session ended and everyone had to go but trust me he's going to show up the next time he's in session <laughs> and uh, I'm think I'm already I've already got some shenanigans planned for his patron to ask of him should he uh, get into trouble but uh, yeah I, th I think as a DM the session's going well um, everyone's learning including myself and I think each session is better than the last I haven't learned jack I'm just kidding. You already know it. <laughs> you're like a teacher here. You're the you're the veteran D and D player. Here. Yeah. When people ask me what I do with the group because I'm not the main DM and I don't uh, have a character right now, they're always like, "What do you do then?" And I, I was like telling my friend Alex, who's in like five TTRPG gaming groups, I was like, "I'm basically the coach because <laughs> I've been playing for 11 years. Everybody else been playing for like one or two. <laughs> so we're all, we're all we're all waiting for uh, Clarence to show up." Clarence Spellshell. Oh, we actually, like half your level when now. we finish yeah. Baldur's Gate, I actually have a one-off that I've been talking to Hunt about that Clarence may or may not appear in. Ooh. Clarence Spellshell. The Paleo Druid. The Paleo Druid. Gotta love it. But yeah, that's our session. Looking forward to the next one. Yeah, me too. So uh, that is it for today's episode of uh, Tabletop Recap. Next time I'm going to try not to do a... Uh, a D&D uh, &D one, but you never know. I really want to have G talk about some Warhammer next time. We don't really have time today. We're almost we're already almost at the 50-minute mark. But uh, thank you all very much for your support. If you want to 
support the show. We have a Patreon, Twitter, uh, eBay with gaming stuff and merch. We have a Facebook page for our podcasts as well. All of that can be found in the links in the description below. As well as a Facebook page where we do lots of uh, unboxings for gaming stuff as well. So that's it. Thank you all once again for your support. And I'll see you all next time.